Welcome to Bite Size Dental Marketing. Today I have Ryan Vett. Ryan, from early stage startups to Fortune 500, uh, I, I know you were in some tech companies. It seems like, man, you were a man of many talents and have done it all. I've been speaking to you about the Speaker Consulting Network, and we have so many friends and industry leaders are in there. You guys keynote so many different events. I would love to hear your origin story of how the heck did you get into that type of business and, and from fintech to all these other things that you've done. Tell me a little bit about your origin story. Well, if you've heard uh, my story at all, you know that it started with a lemonade stand. Uh, as cliche as that might sound, uh, what really what really was the the catalyst for my entrepreneurial journey and all the lessons I've learned since started there. Uh, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, and one day I wanted to run Pokemon, uh, brand new at the time, out of business. And so I called the Daily Herald and said, hey, I've got this line of trading cards I've created. I'm selling them at my lemonade stand. Uh, could you please give me a full page, full color, back page ad? And the answer was, yes, ma'am. I would be happy to provide you with that pricing because I was about nine years old at the time. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, it was like $20,000 or something that was just a little bit outside of my lemonade stand's budget. So I did what any entrepreneur does. I, I don't take no for an answer. And I started my own newspaper. And what that entailed was making sure I wasted every single ink cartridge that my parents had when ink was even more expensive than it is now. And uh, using every single piece of paper, even things that had previously been printed on uh, in their house. And I, I tell you all of that partly in jest, but partly serious because it was that newspaper that happened to land on the desk of a local business person in the suburb of Chicago that I grew up in. And I had that at Juno.com email at the bottom of it. Mm -hmm. And he, he emailed me. He didn't know he was emailing a, a preteen. And so I emailed back and forth with him and I offered him some graphic design help that he wanted because he liked how the magazine or this newspaper uh, which, by the way, was Newspaper for Kids, a very original name. Um, but he liked how this newspaper looked. And so I had my first client, and, and he paid me. And he probably thought he got it for a steal because I charged him 25 bucks. And uh, the, the rest is history. That scaled into a multinational marketing company. Uh, we served over 200 clients in 25 countries, helping raise, we're not exactly sure the number, but probably 50 million plus for nonprofit organizations in particular. Uh, so hospitals, overseas, um, uh, leadership academies, schools, uh, wells, you name it, uh, but really kind of a philanthropic marketing uh, company. And what I didn't know about that company is you can sell companies. That was a foreign concept to me. So when I went off to college after going to college and doing that for a year, I was like, I don't really want to do this anymore. I want to enjoy uh, college and not the way that people think. I, I was still kind of a nerd, but um, I, I just wanted to get out of working all the time. And so I kind of wound it down. Well, it was in college that I got my next big idea, a couple of harebrained ideas in between, but uh, I started my first uh, software company. And that's when I was introduced to venture capital, uh, angel investing, the whole nine yards that you can actually sell a company. <laughs> so I had regrets on not selling that first venture. And um, yeah, the rest is history. So I, I did everything, primarily software, usually enterprise software, one consumer software in the middle. But your question, and I, I'm now on a monologue, my, my computer tells me when I'm monologuing. Um, but uh, to answer your question, how did I get into Speaking Consulting Network or SCN? Well, one of the, the in the ecosystem of startups that I knew, there was a, a guy, uh, he and I got to know each other and he said, hey, we've got this medical device startup, would you like to come to it? 
And there's a couple of reasons. One was because I, I had kind of been known for an, a minimal marketing approach, a simple kind of trendy. Um, this is not my word to self-describe it, but in his words, Apple-esque type marketing, right? Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. that more modern. Um, and and so he's like, we want this medical device product to be Apple-esque in its positioning. We don't want it to be like, we've got you know this, that does that scientific word here, pharma jargon there. And so I, I took the opportunity and the main market was in dentistry. Uh, it was at the same time my wife was in dental school. So it was kind of fortuitous that she was in dental school. I had an opportunity to play in an industry that I'd never played in before. And it was different than software because software is fun. It's got its ups and downs, but I was ready for a new challenge. So did that for several years. And uh, in 2014, we approached Speaking Consulting Network and said, hey, um, we would love to promote our new medical device there. We're in dentistry and we know you have a lot of the key opinion leaders, thought leaders, influencers. How do we do it? We became a sponsoring partner back in 2014, 2015. I attended my first SCN in 2015. Um, and, and I'd been speaking for for years. Um, I'd been a part <laughs> of National Speaker Association, actually right, I mean, I just got off the plane from it uh, shortly before we recorded this uh, episode. And, uh, you know, so I've been a part of NSA and I, I've spoken at that point uh, all over the place, but I'd never seen a niche organization focused just on developing the best thought leaders in a given industry, the ones that were on the covers of every magazine or, you know, published in every periodical in an industry on the main stage of every single main conference. And so I was like, this is awesome. And and I fell in love with this group um, and did that for the couple of years that I was with this medical device company, ended up going back to software um, for a while. So stepped out of that, but was still getting a couple of dental speaking gigs here and there. And in 2021, I was asked to be the closing keynote for the 25th anniversary of the speaking consulting network. And I gladly accepted. Um, I, I love, you know, speaker, there's a lot of different types of speakers, comedians, which is not me. Um, mm. you've got workshoppers, which I can do workshops, but my real forte is keynotes. And, and so I, I jumped at the opportunity to deliver a non-dental keynote, just a, a generic, what I do in a business setting keynote to this group. And it was just a fantastic, uh, probably one of the more fun keynotes I've given, even though I've given that keynote before. And since that one was just special and I didn't know why at the time, but it re reignited that passion for me to get back involved with SCN. Um, and I had just exited a company. So I was kind of trying to figure out what was next. And so got back with SCN and a couple months later after that keynote, found out that SCN may be for sale. So I approached uh, Lois who owned it at the time and she, uh, she and I were at Adam and I walked up to her and she's like, I know why you're coming to me. I was like, oh, great. Someone spilled the beans. I, I had asked one person for advice. And of course, it already got back to her. And uh, a couple of weeks later, I was in uh, the St. Louis area. Um, I'm sorry, Kansas City area where they are, uh, where they live and met with her and her husband around their dining room table and kind of went through some numbers. And uh, a couple of months later, we had a deal. I, I know that a lot of business people niche down. I've never heard of speaking, but it makes sense because I, obviously the domain knowledge and, and I think about our agency, we now and again, will have a chiropractor. We'll have uh, some other type of specialty reach out to us and say, Hey, can you market my hip replacement practice or, you know, my orthopedic surgery practice? And while the fundamentals are the same, it just gets so nuanced into yep. the tone and the, the, the consumer journey and those things. And what do you see as the big reasons that, speaker consulting network has been so successful 
in the dental field, because again, if you read down your roster, I mean, it's just the, the who's who of, of dental, right? What, yeah. what, what has niching down brought you? So I think, um, you know, Linda miles who founded it, um, she started her career long before she founded SCN and she really broke a lot of glass ceilings. There weren't a ton of women speaking on, on the speaking circuit in dental and not a ton of non-dentists speaking on the speaking circuit in dental. And when she wasn't getting booked for some of these meetings, she started her own seminars and conferences and gained this massive following on her own. And she, she actually was a part of national speaker association. She was a CSP certified speaking professional through NSA. So she was in this global group of speakers and niche down from the beginning. And I think the, the benefit, you said domain knowledge, and I agree with that. But I think part of it, especially in dentistry, dentistry is unique. I've been in a lot of industries over the years and dentistry is unique. And I say that with love. Um, but I think niching down in dentistry is all about the relationships. Uh, mm -hmm. It is by far the most relational industry that I've ever experienced because it's a very giving industry. People want to see others succeed. Like every dentist is a competitor with the dentist down the road. Um, every dental speaker or every speaker is a competitor for that stage time. There's only so many things, but it's an industry where we know that we learn from each other and we grow from each other. And, um, I think that's what makes it special. So, uh, you know, you've definitely seen a lot of value in that now as the industry grows and has had more eyes in it, there's a lot of outside dollars being pumped into it. It's what we saw happen with medical about 20 or 30 years ago. And so you're starting to see some of that change and the relationships are shifting. The uh, relationship weight is shifting a little bit. Um, but I, I still see it overall as a very relational industry. Yeah, I think we're somewhere between 20 and 25% consolidated into private equity right now. And they're, the most conservative say will be 50% consolidated in seven years. The most aggressive say will be 70% consolidated in seven years. Right. And, and, you know, then you throw in COVID and it's a, certainly a lot of factors converging into dental. And then the rising trend of getting out of network and, and yep. all these other, all these other factors. What are you seeing as the big trends in dental and specifically, what are you seeing around the trends in dental around the resurgence of some of these events? Events are hard. Um, you know, I, uh, several years ago, wrote an article for Forbes, uh, during COVID about, uh, the, the orange square. I don't know if you know the orange square, but, uh, it, it is a, it was a social media phenomenon that happened in, in minutes as social media does, where all of a sudden all of these celebrities were posting an orange square on their social feed. Well, if we're scrolling through our feed, then all of a sudden, you know, it's a from a picture of a family to a picture of the beach, then orange square, orange square, orange square. We want to know what's going on. Either Instagram's broken or, or something's going on. Well, it was to promote this idea called the fire festival. And the fire mm -hmm. festival was more or less, uh, I don't want to ruin it for anyone listening. Definitely watch the documentary. Um, or there's a couple documentaries now, but more or less, uh, they oversold and way under delivered, um, and people's health and even welfare was at stake with this, uh, Island destination event. But mm -hmm, mm -hmm. long story short, what that showed and what we can learn from that is that millennials in particular, who is the mass of our working force right now, um, we've, we've surpassed gen, uh, gen X because we're a bigger generation as millennials and surpassed boomers because boomers, especially during COVID retired at a faster rate and earlier rate than they would have. Uh, so millennials are the biggest in the workforce currently, and they like experiences. 
they they're not as much about the hobnobbing and rubbing shoulders with and networking that some previous generations were at least not in the traditional sense so putting on a suit going to a trade show and talking about how successful your practice is and finding the newest trends is not how they're doing it they're finding the newest trends real time through social media and everything else so you know we saw a lot of the events almost all the events kind of just stopped to a halt during uh during the pandemic and we've seen some come back some with new fervor and some have not been able to recover and so i do think we see the event landscape changing drastically. I mean, Yankee Dental put an ice skating rink in their uh, trade show floor, the exhibit hall this year. Like that, to me, that's pretty cool. That's a cool experience. But is that what it's going to take? We saw ADA rebrand to SmileCon. We, we've seen all of these different things start to, to pivot, and yet we see individuals throwing what I would effectively call parties in on islands or cruise ships or destinations to attract some of these new CE courses. And so... Uh, you know, what is the future of events? And I think there's a little bit of all of that for everyone. But at the end of the day, with the bulk, you have to look at where the bulk is, right? Um, the bulk is, is millennial and, and they like experiences that doesn't have to be an island that doesn't have to be a cruise ship or a wine country, but it does have to be something that's worth sharing again and again. Now, what do you see in the trends of the dentist you're talking to along that line? And I, I know you mentioned the millennials, um, you know, we were at a Mark Costas event down in mm -hmm. San Antonio and it felt like a game show. Yep. You know, I mean, it was definitely a, an experience vibe. And are, are you seeing the younger dentists consume, obviously they're consuming media differently, but how are you seeing them diverge from, you know, uh, the, the older generation dentist as, and how they approach the craft? Yeah. And this is uh, somewhat anecdotal evidence. I, I don't have anything to verify this. So this is uh, observational for sure. But I, I am surrounded by a bunch of, uh, I would call them younger dentists with my wife being a dentist. So her, those in a couple of years of graduation around her are part of, you know, our natural friend group outside of dentistry, put professionalism aside. And what I see a lot of them doing is gathering their CE as quick as possible, like squirrels, just hiding their acorns by, you know, March, April. And that's not going to your traditional shows. That's not going mm -hmm. to your dinners, your everything like that. That's online, that's magazines, that's you name it. And often it's just to check the boxes, right? Um, which CE has for a long time been that. We, we know that nest speakers sometimes will joke with our audiences about that. Um, so, so that's one half of it. But they end up still going throughout the year to events anyway whether or not they're for CE. So what does that mean? Well, they, they're doing CE for a requirement, not necessarily to learn anymore because they're learning on their mm -hmm. Facebook groups. Mm -hmm. They're learning on Instagram. They're learning online. Um, and, and they're learning more quick bite size. See what I did there? Uh, bite size trends. And, um, but they still want that social aspect. So I think f figuring out what the perfect marriage is between those events is where do you have that social aspect that's fun, engaging, you get to hang out with friends. And at what point does it intersect and at what level? I know CE has all been about, I won't say which state, but there's one state uh, that I've spoken for a number of times that they're, they're meeting. They're one of the bigger state meetings. And they literally have people with uh, little I iPhones or iPads outside the door that scan the badge when you walk in. And if you walk out for a bathroom break or anything, they scan you out. And they time how long you were gone and come back in. And if you don't have, I believe it's at least 50 minutes of the hour per hour, you don't get the CE for that whole hour. And the question I, I would challenge, and we're not going to change the whole CE system, but what's the point of CE? Is it really if you sit for three hours, you're a better dentist? Or is it really learning these bite-sized things that so many social media influencers are doing bite-sized um, pieces of good information that's actually valuable to practice growth? Short-form content has exponentially grown Month over month over month. Yeah. The yeah. long form content 
usage, even reading on the internet, uh, Cisco published some article last year that north of 80% of all internet traffic is videos. And if you layer that onto short form content is exponentially increasing over long form content, you're left with this, you know, doom scrolling, if you will, right. of, of this short form. And yeah, I, I, the irony is while they're physically determining if you're in the building, uh, I will tell you that sometimes at conferences, I'm on my phone in the right. back waiting for my, you know, waiting for my car or whatever yeah. it may be. Yeah. Waiting yeah. for the next thing. And I, I agree. The purpose of CE is to keep someone fresh in their field. It certainly has not achieved that. Uh, right. But I think the marketplace is in a better position to do that today than ever Yeah. with reviews, with uh, employee feedback. You know, uh, I was talking to Rachel Wall, who I, th I think, you know, Oh yeah, that, great. that she's amazing. She was our first company crush. And I <laughs> think that I still aspire to many things that inspired hygiene does, but we were talking about how we started this year to get officers to reach out to us to improve their social media presence, not for the acquisition of consumers, but to make them look like a better place to work mm, and to good. highlight the culture of the office and things like that, because we're, we're, we have now shifted to learning via social media. I can argue that I, I think that it's ripe with incredibly poor news sources and oh, yeah. a lot of anecdotal evidence and, and a lot of misguided, misguided things, but it's here. And right. we have to embrace that that is how people are consuming content. Even, you know, I'm 48, even, even many of my peers are consuming more social media news than we are consuming any other news. And that's where we're getting Absolutely. our facts. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's changing the landscape of, of, of CE as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think there's two things that you said that I want to touch on. One was, um, the idea of everyone consuming from social media. I, I mean, the, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, like how many of us have gone and read a headline and then gone and talked about the headline that we read at a, a cocktail party? Uh, it, it happens all the time because it's that bite size. We're not even clicking through to articles anymore. And these news mm -hmm. stations know it. Um, so I, I often follow every, every political uh, side of every news publication, everything, because you're getting half the story. And so, you know, if you look at my followers or who I'm following, you'd be like, why do you follow both that and that? Well, I, I try to be as well-rounded with uh, the bite-size teaser headlines that we get. Um, so that's interesting. Then the second thing you said is something I've talked about. I, you know, I have the, my book, Cracking the Millennial Code. Um, it's not a dental book, but um, it, it's relevant to dental. And when I give that course in dentistry, they're like, how do we get our staff to stay? And I say, staff's an infection, it's your team your first problem. Um, but after, after you figure out how to get new team members and all that, I always say, use your social media, not for your patients and talking about brush your teeth, you know, two times a day or whatever. No, make it a good place to work because your patients want to come to a place that's fun and you will attract more team members if your team thinks it's fun. So, um, mm -hmm. I definitely mm -hmm. agree with that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a, a great approach that you guys are doing. Do you know the, uh, there's a book that I love. It happens to be here on my desk as I rumble around, but it's no rules, rules, Netflix and the culture of reinvention, the Netflix book written by read Reed Hastings one. and Aaron Meyer. It's fascinating. The, the core concept is basically that Harvard came out with some study back in the years and that was to create, you know, the best employees have a safe place by which they work. And Reed mm -hmm. Hastings said, nope, I'm going to, 
I'm going to lean into absolute candor. So even, even publicly, I'm going to say, Hey, Eric, uh, when you ask me a question, I would like you to ask it one time without any anecdotal, like, like that kind of feedback was given in meetings in this, in this huh. book. And it's, it's interesting. And through his journey where he had to lay people off and, and the team actually ended up producing more and, and, and all these other things. And, but Netflix published this manifesto of hiring. And there was a phrase in there that, um, something around average performance gets a generous severance package hmm. and it caught eyes and it went viral this presentation. Well, there are people out there who say that that was nothing more than a recruiting scheme that Netflix actually operates culturally much like many other companies, but they presented their face as this amazing thing that to get this top tier of talent because they were chasing talent. Right. And there are people out there who hold this as the gold standard of how to present your office to acquire in the talent race that we're all in because right. I don't have an office right now that does not struggle in the front desk. I mm -hmm. don't have an office that looks at their hygiene schedule and team and says, yeah, I have enough. And they may say, I love who I have, but I wish I right. had more flexibility, more days. Um, chair sides appear to be stable, but the front desk and hygiene are incredibly competitive right now. Right. And I don't, I don't see a way out with 30% of the hygienists leaving the workforce and some have come back, but you mentioned medical earlier. My wife is a registered nurse and she has chosen her jobs over the last 15 years based on not the hourly rate they afford her, but the flexibility that mm -hmm. she has provided. And she's given up, uh, uh, you know, seven, $8 an hour to, to have more flexibility in our life. And I think hygienists are moving to that direction. I, I think we will move to that more part-time role. And I, I think the ramifications that are going to be massive as they cascade through the office, because I think other people are going to see the hygienist do it and they're going to want to do it too. Absolutely. Is the other one. Yeah, absolutely. And I think flexibility is one of the biggest things that the millennial worker wants, even though they can't put mm -hmm. their finger on it. They want more money because they think they can go on vacation. Well, when they earn the money and they can't go on vacation, they get upset. But at the root cause of what a lot of them want, <clears throat> They want to work for a company with a purpose. They don't want to just show up to work and do nothing. They don't want to be a drone. But the second thing is they want the flexibility. They call it the work-life balance. We have Gen X to thank for that, uh, coining that term. I think it's very interesting. And I, I do think we'll see schedules change. And there are always going to be jobs. I have a, a series of coffee shops and wine bars that I own. And there's always going to be jobs that have set schedules, right? And flexibility is going to be different. So how do you allow the most flexibility in those jobs that require someone behind a desk, that require someone behind a bar, that require someone's chair side? And I think the more creative you can be with that, the more successful you'll be in retaining and attracting talent. Now, Ryan, we've covered a variety of topics. What's next for you? Where are you keynoting next? Where are you going to take? What's your dream for Speaker Consulting Network? Yeah. Um, I always have an updated list of where I am speaking on my website, ryanvet.com. So that's a, a loaded question. I, I know I get on another plane here in about three hours from this call. Um, I think that'll be my 11th state, the 17th day into this month or 18th date into this month. Um, so I'm always on the road speaking, um, and would love to see, uh, you all in any of my audiences, but speaking consulting network, I see, and what, what's, I mean, my goal is to bring it back to the roots. And that is uh, what Linda founded on excellence and integrity. 
SEN members were looked at, if they, they had that membership lapel pin or if they had that membership name next to their, um, you know, next to their speaker packet, that was revered and in the industry. And not to say that we've gotten away from that because we still have that same quality person. There's a group of people now booking these newer, trendier meetings that might not know the quality and the training that we offer. I mean, there's 13 events a year, 10 are speaker or consultant CE that they have to take. Like it's a, it's a good group of people. It's not just people saying, Hey, I want to be a speaker and that come to one meeting a year. Um, and there's plenty of th opportunities to do that too. But I really see it as going back to the excellence uh, integrity of furthering this industry. And I challenged this year at our annual summit, I, I challenged our members. I said, Hey, I, what happens if SCN has gone tomorrow? Will the industry know and, that we're gone? Will they miss us? Are we leaving that kind of impact? And I think, you know, every single day, uh, if we just are 2% are better than the previous day, and that's not an original idea, right? Or every week, just 2% better in a year. If just every week you're 2% better, you double. You know, in two years, that's quadruple. And and I think it's kind of that. We don't have to do massive changes. What can we do to make sure we're always the best and providing the best content? And now that is short form. That's not always CE. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's just different ways we're delivering content. And, um, you know, how do we support the fee-for-service practice that's moving away from PPOs and is all for, uh, you know, anti-DSO? And how do we also support the DSOs that are trying to grow and buy up everybody? Uh, and so how mm -hmm. do we make sure that we're kind of that neutral party that can be the, that safe and, and you said safety. Um, I, I don't like using the word safe space because sometimes it gets pretty, uh, you know, dynamic, but, yeah, yeah, but I think how do you have everyone in, in a conversation? Doesn't mean we have to leave agreeing, but we have to leave learning more so that we can be the best for the industry that we can be. Well, Ryan, I very much have loved our chat. You've taught me a lot and I'm excited to, uh, to be part of the speaker consultant network here in the coming year. And Andre and I are excited. So, you know, we're, uh, thank you so much for being on the show and we look forward to continuing chats. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Eric, for having me. It's been a blast.